0: you are locked on magic your daily podcast on the orlando magic part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
1: and you are indeed locked on magic today is august 19th 2019 my name is philip rossman Reich, i'm the expert and site editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com of course follow me on twitter at philip rr underscore omd on today's episode of Locked on Magic, we'll do a World Cup update as we go around the world and, and look in on how Magic players are doing in uh, their warm ups for the World Cup. We'll talk about how uh, we'll talk about Evan Fournier with France, Nikola Vucevic with Montenegro, as well as Ken Birch with Canada, and then a little bit about Team USA as they make their way over to Australia to continue their prep for the World Cup. And, you know, obviously some big games going on around the world. We'll look ahead to that tournament coming up at the end of the month. Then we're going to close the show talking a little bit about Chuma Okiki. He, by all reports and accounts, remains the only unsigned first-round pick, and it's looking more and more like he could be due for a sort of red-shirt year. I'll explain what that means, what the benefits are, what some of the drawbacks are, and why the Magic and maybe even Okiki would agree to, to this kind of an arrangement. It's looking more and more like that's the way things are going to be. So we'll, we'll break down what that means for the Orlando Magic and, and of course, for Chuma Okiki here. Coming up in just a bit, but before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching on iTunes for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like there's a podcast covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's a podcast for every single team in the NBA, hosted by a local expert who knows their team best. Someone like me who follows their team religiously. You want the best insight, the best analysis, the best expertise. You go right to the source. No matter what team it is, you can find it all on the Locked On Podcast Network. Plus, you've got Locked On NBA covering a national perspective as well as Locked On Fantasy Basketball covering you from the fantasy perspective as fantasy basketball. will surely be picking up here in just a minute, just a moment. You can also check out the other great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network, whether it's Locked On NFL, Locked On Fantasy Football to get you set for your fantasy football drafts, or one of our number of our NFL team, MLB team, and college podcasts as well. The Lockdown Podcast Network, you can find it wherever you download podcasts. It's your team every day. As I've kind of said when I've talked about the World Cup, these exhibition games you take with a little grain of salt. Um, you know, I think teams, when at least European teams, not so much the Americans, but I think teams like to approach these games with a little bit of caution. They're they're trying to not show their entire hand. They're trying to maybe work on specific things. They're trying to kind of get themselves going. And while the U.S., and we'll talk about the the U.S.'s game against Spain here in a minute, but while the U.S. has to use this time to really come together and kind of, you know, empty the clip, so to speak, because they're still figuring out how to play with each other, a lot of these guys on these national teams have played together for years. And so it's more about kind of fine-tuning the machine. So they're not going to reveal a ton. They may ask guys to do stuff that's a little bit different than how they might play just to just to kind of experiment and see what works or hide what they're really trying to do. They're trying to keep heat to a limit. However, you know, it is basketball. They are playing and, and supposedly playing hard. And so you take everything with a grain of salt, but you definitely raise an eyebrow a little bit. You definitely go, huh, that's interesting. We saw last week when France played Montenegro that Nikola Vucevic is going to get swarmed. That that teams are really going to focus on stopping him. And you know, in the in the video that I saw of that game, Montenegro's ball movement really impressed me. I think that they can whip the ball around pretty pretty well. It's just going to be a matter of whether their guards can hit shots. So, unfortunately for Nikola Vucevic, his stat lines might resemble a little bit like it did in the playoffs, which, depending on your perspective, is either. Something somewhat comforting because I don't think teams will put that focus on him as much in the regular season. Or it could be a problem, um, and and I think we all know why that would be a problem. Nikola Vucevic's stat lines in in, in these games have not been impressive. I, I, I will I will say that. And honestly, since following him, every time he goes to FIBA, I expect him to play better and I expect him to put up numbers because I think he's a really good player. And for whatever reason, his numbers just do not translate to the FIBA game. Maybe it's because the Montenegro team has to put so much focus on him, or maybe it's the way Montenegro plays and uses him, and I, I do think they're using him more as kind of a, a high-post lever rather than a low-post score. But in their games, and they played two more games after France, they lost to Argentina 85-77. to In that game, Nikola Vucevic scored 11 points in 27 minutes, on just 4 of 14 shooting. They grabbed 9 rebounds. Did have 2 blocks. So, take that for what you will. And Argentina is a good team. Uh, they, they, they fielded a... They, they fielded kind of a... Uh, they're, they're not the same team they were, obviously. But, you know, they're they're still a decent team. But really struggling with his shot uh, is somewhat concerning. Uh, 11 points on 4 for 14 shooting is it's not good. Um, But that's kind of just how it is I guess uh, that's that's it's it's difficult I want to you know I, I don't want to read too much into it and, and I want to see tape before I really make any statements and yeah I I, I don't want to blame it but the FIBA ball is different than the NBA ball um it, it does it's made of a different material it does take some getting used to and and, and the spacing in a FIBA game is a little bit different but it's definitely a, not you know not like alarm bells ringing the magic shouldn't have paid him that contract concerning but you know, Vucevic might have a mediocre tournament. That, that's, that's happened before with him. That, that could happen again. And so another interesting game from him, another kind of low-key game from him in an exhibition, it, it raises an eyebrow. It's something to keep an eye on, and I definitely want to see him play and, and look forward to seeing him play once the World Cup kicks off. And, of course, uh, one of the teams Montenegro will play will be Greece, who has quickly become one of the favorites uh, to win this whole thing with Giannis Antetokounmpo playing. Nikola Vucevic sat out Montenegro's final game against Brazil, so don't have much else to gain from that. We'll we'll see what Montenegro looks like in their next set of games. I do not, unfortunately, know when that will be. As for Evan Fournier, last week when I talked about that matchup with Montenegro, I said I came away really impressed with Evan Fournier. He's taking the kind of shots the Magic need him and want him to take. He was taking them efficiently. He was passing the ball uh, pretty well. He was defending at a high level. and All that is still true. And I think there's a lot to, to gain from that. But, unfortunately, in these games so far, and perhaps it's because well, France is putting the ball in Fournier's hands a lot more, unfortunately, Fournier's shooting has not been consistently good. The Montenegro game was probably his best game, and so maybe it's motivation. In an 86-72 to win over Brazil last week, Evan Fournier scores 13 points on 5 for 14 shooting, misses all three of his three-pointers. Adds three assists and a steal as well. So again, the other elements of Fournier's game are starting to round into four. I, I really like that he's passing the ball still really well. I, I really like that he's moving that he's still kind of moving the ball effectively, that he's making plays for others, that he's def- that he seems to be defending at a decently high level. But I think what we always see with Evan Fournier is this sort of my turn mentality. And 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 I and I and I hate th- that's kind of how I'm gonna have to describe him. Sort of a my turn mentality that you know, everyone else gets their shots, then it's my turn, even if it's not a good shot, and I would say that, that Fournier's shot selection sometimes comes into question, whether it's waiting a beat too long to take his shot, or trying to set up a dribble move and, and shooting off the dribble on an off-balance shot, and that may be what France needs. I'll take this game against Brazil as an example. Fournier was not the starting point guard, but the, line, the starting lineup had Batum, Fournier, and Gobert, so... You know, Vincent Poirier uh, was coming off the bench, uh, Nando DiColo coming off the bench, Frank Nalikina coming off the bench. They were probably trying something new, and that that probably put Fournier in a position where he was taking a lot of shots and taking a lot of shots off the dribble. His 14 field goal attempts in that game were the most on the team. So I, I don't want to—again, I, I, I caution with these exhibition games because they are trying different things. They're not necessarily— playing at their optimal and 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 these Euro- and European teams tend to play a little closer to the vest when it comes to these exhibition games. But Fournier's shooting struggles are continuing and, and consistent. Let's take the game against Argentina, a 77-58 win over Argentina. It should be pointed out, France continues to win and that's ultimately what matters to this team, that they win. In about 20 minutes against Argentina, Fran- uh, Evan Fournier scores... Three points on one for eight shooting, including one for six from beyond the arc. Now, he wasn't in the game long enough to really make a huge dent. You know, this this game was about getting others' minutes, it, it seems like. So again, I don't want to read too much into it. Matthias Lasort had the most minutes in the game at 21, but Fournier still played a ton of minutes, still played almost half the game here. And the fact that he took eight shots, which were the, tied for the most on the team, And missed a lot of them. You know, without speaking to the quality of the shots, when those shots came. I'm definitely keeping an eye on things. If if I'm the Magic. Because, like we said last year, Evan Fournier had a good year last year. Except that his primary role was to be a three-point shooter. And he had his worst three-point shooting year in a Magic uniform. That turned the season into a disappointment for him. The other parts of his game have come around. But the Magic need Evan Forney to make shots. They need him to make three-pointers. And if he's not making three-pointers, his usefulness, especially with some of the other shots that he takes, decreases dramatically. So again, we'll see what it looks like when the lights really come on. Because, you know, the, the, these teams like to use these exhibition games more to experiment rather than to, to kind of practice and get reps in. Now, they're going to hide as much as they can in these games. So I I think that... I think that... uh, um, that Fournier here has to make three-pointers. I mean, I think that's that's, that's really key both for France and for the Magic. And so that's something I'm going to continue to keep an eye on. And frankly, through these exhibition games, I'm not seeing the three-point consistency that I know Fournier can have. Now, that could change. And... Like I said, the FIBA ball is different. The length is different. Uh, The three-point line is is closer in FIBA. There's still a lot to work out and work through here when it comes to Evan Forney. So I'm I'm not going to completely write him off yet, but uh, definitely uh, some cause for concern. Meanwhile, in Australia, Canada has already arrived and they're starting to get set for their World Cup for their World Cup. The US is following them uh late last week. Uh Canada split their two games with Australia, defeating them 90 to 70 on uh on Friday, it looks like. Uh but I would I would like to point out we're gonna talk about Ken Birch. Ken Birch had two very different games here. And the first game, the 10-point win by Canada, Birch had six points, three for eleven shooting, five rebounds, three assists. Not not a bad game, no blocks. Not not a bad game, but you know, we kind of know. Birch's, Birch's game is more predicated on pick and rolls, rolling with baskets. So, you know, again, without understanding where his shots are coming from, how much of those are tippins, it's you know a solid Kem Birch game. Canada's success is going to come from others on the perimeter playing well. Whether it's uh, Corey Joseph, who's expected to rejoin the team, or Kevin Pangos, or Kyle Wilcher, or you know even former Magic guy Melvin Ejim off the bench, who, who may or may not play. But Ken Burch had a really nice game in their 81-73 loss a day later on Saturday. In Saturday's game, Ken Burch scores 18 points on 7-for-15 shooting, four rebounds, two steals, and a block. It's a pretty solid game. So I think this shows the kind of up-and-down nature that Ken Burch is going to have throughout this tournament. There gonna be some games where he's super involved, some games where he's not. And I would imagine a lot of those misses are tips around the basket that he couldn't get to go down for whatever reason. The interesting development, though, with Ken Burch, something to keep an eye on throughout the tournament. In Saturday's game, he was 0-2 from beyond the arc. In Friday's game, he was 0-2 from beyond the arc. This is not an aberration. In other games, Ken Burch has been taking a few threes. I'm not sure he's made any. But he is feeling comfortable and it seems encouraged to take three pointers when he is open to t- test out that jumper, something I know he worked on throughout the season last year as well. Do you want Ken Burch hanging around the three point line shooting threes? No. But it is something that he appears confident enough it, that's in his arsenal that he's trying it out in these games. Again, once the World Cup starts, I expect that number to decrease. I don't expect that to be part of his game, but an interesting development nonetheless, something that we can keep an eye on here.
0: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: But ultimately what everyone in in this country at least wants to to know about or wants to think about is, uh, is the play of Team USA. Obviously, Team USA has been struggling, uh, to say the least. They're struggling in in that so many players have backed out of Team USA. They're only taking, I believe, 13 or 14 players to cut down to 12 to Australia. And a really stunning withdrawal. After Friday's game against Spain and and Anaheim, De'Aaron Fox said he is withdrawing from the team to focus on the upcoming season. So, He went through all of training camp, originally on the select team, graduated to the national team, was supposedly the standout guy, one of the standout players in that camp, seemed set for a roster spot, and then withdrew at the last second. And literally the last second. It's the timing that I think really bugs me more than anything else and should bug Team USA. Because he went through this whole process and literally at 1159 He backed out. Uh, You know, I'm not going to bang a guy for deciding to play or not to play, but frankly, if you did not have an intention to go to China, to play in this World Cup, you should not have accepted the invite onto the main roster, into the main roster pool. You should have made that clear from the beginning so that roster spot could go to someone else, could go to a player that wants to be there. Now, granted, that's been hard to find. I mean, the the point guard especially has been a little bit of a struggle. They've got Kimball Walker, who is going. They've got Donovan Mitchell, who can platoon there. They've got Marcus Smart, who can platoon there. But after that, Kyle Lowry had the thumb injury. He couldn't get cleared in time. They went to Darren Fox, and he was set to make the roster. And Now it looks like Derek White from the San Antonio Spurs is going to be the backup point guard for this team. It's, it's frustrating to say the least, and, and I would agree with a lot of people who say this is the weakest U.S. national team that is going to a major tournament since the Dream Team, for sure. This so certainly a weaker team than that 2002 team that finished sixth in the, World, in, the, in, the, in the World Championship at the time. That doesn't mean they can't win, and in fact, I still expect Team USA to win the gold won't be easy by any means. And I think Friday's game against Spain, the first time this national team has played against an opponent with a different jersey, it kind of proved how difficult this trip is going to be. The U.S. won the game 90-81, to so they won the game, they they took care of what was important. That's the first thing that matters. They held Spain to 40.8% shooting. So defense was solid, although they gave up 12 of 25 from beyond the arc. The U.S. though was far from efficient. Donovan Mitchell led the team in scoring with 13 points. Chris Middleton had 12. Jason Tatum had 11. Kemba Walker had 11. They did some fine things offensively. It's it's really not a concern there. But they committed 20 turnovers, including four from Chris Middleton, three each from Miles Turner and Jason Tatum. And you could just kind of tell watching them play that they didn't look like they knew what they were doing together quite yet. You could kind of sense that this is still a team in sort of training camp mode, which is, again, somewhat to be expected. You know, playing a team as good as Spain this early in the process, probably not the best idea. But having said that, uh it, US came through with a win. It wasn't easy. It was shaky. They they had the lead for most of the game. So it wasn't like they had to rally to take the lead and 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 pull and pull away at the end. They had the lead. They looked shaky with the turnovers. Spain kind of made things a little bit interesting in the fourth quarter and then the US put their foot down and won the game. There might be a lot of games that feel like that where the US kind of, you know, almost like the Golden State Warriors go through the sudden surge of offense and then just kind of level off and kind of coast to the end of games. But unlike the Warriors, this team cannot afford to do that. If they do that against Serbia, if they do that against Greece, if they do that against Spain again, there's a good chance they will lose. So hopefully this exhibition proved a little bit of a wake-up call that they do have to take these games seriously. That they do have to do some more work to come together and build kind of team chemistry on the court in, in pressure situations if they want to win these games. It's a lot easier said than done, of course. The USO has time to do it. They've got three more exhibition games before the World Cup begins. They're in Australia now. They'll play Australia twice and then Canada and then they'll head to China for the World Cup. So still time for Team USA to come together.
0: Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Yesterday was Chuma Okiki's birthday. So, happy birthday, Chuma Okiki. In the past week, Okiki's done more stuff with the Magic than, at least publicly, than most of us kind of realize it No, No. He went to the rookie transition program. He got his basketball card photos taken in a Magic jersey. By all accounts, he is a member of the team. You hear Jonathan Isaac talk about him. I've heard Aaron Gordon talk about him. He's been in the gym at the Amway Center. He's been working out and rehabbing at the Amway Center. And everyone seems really impressed with his work ethic. Nothing that I'm about to say is or should be taken as a comment on Chuma Okiki's work ethic or what I think Chuma Okiki will be as a player. I do like him as a player. The more I've watched him, the more I think he checks off a lot of boxes at the Magic want. And I do think that he will be a player for the team moving forward. The question is, will he be a player for the team this year? Will he be a player for the team in the 2020 season? And considering that every other rookie has signed their rookie contract, that every other rookie is set to go to training camp. And by all reports and accounts, by people who follow NBA contracts, Chuma Okiki remains unsigned, the only other first, the only first round pick unsigned. We start we have to start asking ourselves the question. Will the magic redshirt Chuma Okiki in the 2020 season? And what are the implications of this? To be sure, this is somewhat unprecedented. The only time you see players kind of take this quote unquote redshirt year is if they're foreign born, they're still under contract with their previous team when they entered the draft, and the team kind of agrees, you know, go spend, go spend another season in Europe developing. We'll check in on your progress later, and bring you in when you bring you in when you're ready. The Magic still do technically own the draft rights to Fran Vasquez. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. You don't see this a lot with kind of domestic players in the first round at least. You see it in the in the second round where, where players will get drafted with the specific intention of oh go play with our G League team. We'll bring you in next year. The only real example of this happening is Josh Hestis. Josh Hestis was a player at Stanford. He was someone that was not really on the radar for anyone in the first round. But in the 2015 NBA draft, or in the 2014 NBA draft, excuse me, the Oklahoma City Thunder surprisingly took him with the 29th pick. With the idea that they would draft him 29th, that they would give him those three guaranteed years or two guaranteed years as a first-round pick. But in order to get that, he had to agree to spend his first season in the G League. And that's what they did. Hestis spent his first season in the G League and rejoined the Oklahoma City Thunder in the 2015-2016 season. It was a domestic draft and stash. That's what people called it at the time. That's what it was. But it's never really been done with a player at this level. Okiki wasn't the 29th pick in the draft. He was the 16th pick in the draft. By all accounts, if you believe Jeff Weltman, which we'll talk about here in a minute, Jeff Weltman said if the Magic hadn't taken Okiki at 16, someone else would have taken him right after them. Okiki, if he weren't hurt, would have been a lottery caliber player. So if the intent then was to take him at 16, right? and a lot of people didn't have him going 16, a lot of people had him going in the 20s, which, you know, again, I agree with Weltman on this point that mock drafts aren't always a reflection, uh, or the media mock drafts aren't always a reflection of what NBA front offices believe. But if that was the case, But if that was the case that Orlando would come to this agree come to this agreement or that the Magic knew they were drafting an injured player why defer a year why would Okiki agree to defer a year of salary to hit the free agent market a year later unless perhaps you know there's a fairly significant difference between getting drafted 16th and getting drafted in the 20s, maybe that money did matter to him. Maybe whatever loss that he would have, he'd make up for somewhere else. Who knows? The financial implications for Okiki definitely raise eyebrows because Okiki essentially loses a full year NBA salary and a year off when he enters free agency. So I think that there are legitimate questions about why Okiki would agree to this kind of arrangement. Why he wouldn't just say, "No, I would rather sign my NBA contract now, rehab with you guys, you know, be part of the team, be involved with the team, and you know, play in Lakeland when I'm healthy, or rejoin the team whenever." There is that problem, and I I want to acknowledge it because I don't think I acknowledge it specifically, especially well in my in my article describing this. So I want to acknowledge that here. But other than those financial implications, other than those financial implications, I would argue that Okiki and the Magic stand to to benefit a lot from taking this redshirt year. First, kind of the financials of it all. When you draft a player, you draft their draft rights. Which means if they want to enter the NBA, they have to go through you first. Unless you renounce those rights. Like I said, the Magic still own the draft rights to Fran Vasquez. Fran Vasquez will never be in the NBA. He kind of had a middling career in Spain. But if he ever wanted to come to the NBA, he would have to be on the Magic until they renounce those rights. And I don't believe they've renounced those rights yet. Maybe I'm wrong. It's been, it's been a long time. With Okiki, if he wants to come to the NBA, he has to go on the Magic. Now, because he is a first-round pick, there is a cap hold on the Magic's books. But cap holds do not count toward the luxury tax line. And so I would tell a lot of people this as well, that if one of the Magic's main goals right now, with all the money they've spent is to avoid the luxury tax and they made a lot of moves to avoid the luxury tax. One key move would be to defer Okiki's salary to next year. To keep Okiki off the books because the luxury tax line is only real payable. It's not about it's cap holds. It's not about anything that might be on your books. It's only about what you actually pay. Or what you've actually contributed at the at the deadline, which is the trade deadline. That's when the luxury tax bills are set. So the Magic are under the luxury tax line already. Even if they were to sign Okiki, they would be under the luxury tax line. But not signing Okiki gives them another three million dollars of wiggle room to go out and maybe sign another player and avoid the tax. So there is a little financial implication there. But I think the main reason this makes sense is for Okiki's development. The fact of the matter is, Okiki with a torn ACL is probably not going to be ready to play until January. He might be doing basketball activity, he might be getting himself set in November and December, but he will not be ready to practice and play at full speed probably until late December, early January, if that. And by then, the magic will be in the thick of things. By then, it will be tough to integrate a rookie, as experienced and as veteran as Okiki is, because he's not a freshman. It will be tough to integrate a player into the rotation who is a rookie. Rookies notoriously make mistakes. It is hard to rely on them for much of anything. I mean, honestly, not to say that, that, that anything is a bonus with a rookie, but you expect mistakes... You expect some struggles. You expect, you know, a lot of things. And, and you don't want to over... The teams that over-rely on rookies tend to struggle. There are exceptions, of course. But you don't want to put a lot of pressure on a rookie to perform. That's why I thought Mo Bamba coming off the bench last year was fine. And I think it'll be fine again this year. And Marco Foltz coming off the bench is essentially... Because he's essentially a rookie, will be fine. And so, I think that point is important to remember. That Okiki will be a rookie. That he will have his struggles. That no matter when he enters the NBA, he is going to have to learn everything from scratch. And to do that in January, when the Magic expect to be in the middle of a playoff push, is not advantageous to them, because they are about winning. But it's also bad for Okiki because he's going to have to catch up, learn the NBA, and play at a high level all at once. And and maybe he's capable of doing that. I'm not saying he's not. But Orlando can kind of hedge their bets and say, you know, we don't don't know if you're going to have time on the court. You'd probably spend a lot of time in Lakeland anyway rehabbing to make sure you're ready, to make sure you're good to go. And so from magic's perspective, why waste the contract here? You've got him for three years guaranteed. If he's amenable to it, which seems like he is, why waste that year? When he's going play he's probably not going to play anyway. Because again, he's coming back from a major injury. ACL injuries aren't as serious as they used to be, but it is still a major injury. So, I don't think it makes a ton of sense to play Okiki before he's ready. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to throw him out there in pressure situations as he's learning the league. Because by January, we'll be in the thick of the playoff race. We'll be halfway through the season. And I think regardless of anything, Okiki would spend most of the year in Lakeland. Now, I think the next question is, okay, so what does this do for his recovery? What does this do for helping him get back healthy? Don't don't you want the Magic's doctors and the Magic's training staff to work with him? And the fact of the matter is, they still can. not The rules on this are a little fuzzy, and and I I probably need to get a little more educated on this, but it is not uncommon for, for players that are connected to a team to get permission... You know whether it's a financial permission or, or whatever, to use the Magic's training facility. After Isaiah Briscoe got hurt, and, and I've told this is fairly common, the Magic cut him. But Briscoe was still hanging around the facility, and still doing rehab in the in the Advent Health Practice Facility. After he was cut, he was still hanging around the team. He wasn't allowed to be at practice he wasn't allowed to to practice or work with the coaches or anything but he could still rehab and Magic staffers were there to help so that's not uncommon it seems like and on top of that you know I remember Tyler Harvey who the Magic had the draft rights to, but never brought over he didn't participate in training camp but he was still in the building he was still hanging around the team even if he couldn't practice with them, even if he couldn't participate or get coaching because the Magic hadn't signed him. So there are some rules, there are some limitations, but the Magic don't lose out on anything. Especially if they feel comfortable with how Chimo Kiki is progressing, with, with how he's recovering, they don't lose out on anything. And eventually, when he's healthy, you sign a real contract with the Lakeland Magic, who is essentially your staff too, your staff anyway, and when he's ready to play he plays out the rest of the year in lakeland gets his feet wet gets you know gets some professional experience and then you bring him in next year you bring him in for summer league you do all the normal stuff okiki's working out at the magic's practice facility you know this summer anyway so i don't think he loses that much by not being under contract with the team now, the money stuff is real, and I think I think that's fair to point out that he does lose a little bit of money there. Um, he probably has to pay to use the practice facility, but other than that, I, I don't see the disadvantage from letting him redshirt this year. Of course, we'll see what ultimately happens. Maybe the Magic do decide to sign him and bring him in. Maybe the Magic do decide to... To to bring him in this year and, and and have him under contract. It's still perfectly possible. But I think that there are real advantages to red shirting Chuma O'Kiki. I really do. But we'll see if that's the direction the magic ultimately go. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. You can of course, follow me on Twitter at Philip R underscore omd, follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Magic, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, the Google Play app, all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can find me again on Twitter at philipr__md. And, of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com. We'll talk more about the Orlando Magic schedule on our next episode of Locked on Magic as so I highlight the key areas in the schedule that will define the Magic season. We'll talk a little bit about that, plus perhaps some national television stuff as the Magic continue not to get, get uh, national TV respect. We'll talk about all that and a whole lot more coming up on Locked On Magic. But until then, for Orlando Magic daily and Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Ross and Reich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic.
0: You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.